Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here today. And uh, welcome again to First Christian Church. For those who are guests here today, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team here, and we're very glad that you're with us today in worship. To those who are in the East Auditorium, we're very glad you're with us as well. And um, you know a secret that nobody else knows that they won't learn in this room till later. So there you go. All right. And you guys are going in this room. What's that? Well, they were ahead of the game. How's that? All right. So, um, I would like to spend some time in Scripture with you today. And look, if I'd invite you to take your Bible, please, and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is always almost towards the end. If you don't own a Bible, you'll notice there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. And if, frankly, if you don't own one, would you take that home as our gift to you today? We'd be honored if you'd do that. Uh, while you're looking for Philippians chapter 2 there, um, I'd like to make a comment, if I may, on a news story that caught my attention in the national headlines this week that is, frankly, um, very difficult for me to kind of put together. It's the story about Dennis Hastert. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Dennis Hastert, from here from Illinois, is the former Speaker of the House, was sentenced this week to 15 months in prison. Um, he was the number three guy in the nation. Did you know that? You have the president. If the president dies, the vice president becomes president. If the vice president dies, then, um, or incapacitated, then the speaker of the house becomes president. And um, he, was, he was sent to prison for making false statements to federal officials regarding some banking uh, reporting requirements that, are, that he had. And um, that's what sent him to prison. Perhaps you know, though, there's a little bit more uh, backstory to his prison sentence. Namely, he taught high school for a number of years in Yorkville, here in Illinois, 16 years as a matter of fact, not only teaching history, but he also was a wrestling coach there and uh, did very well as a wrestling coach. His 1976 team went all the way to the state, state title and um, all that was good from the outside looking in. But while in that role as a coach of young men, he began to sexually molest a number of them, um, at least four that the authorities know about. He did admit to that crime in recent days, but the statute of limitations has run out on any prosecution being available to the federal officials for that, uh, for that matter. Apparently, though, some time ago, uh, Hastert got into some sort of financial arrangement with one of those boys who now is a young man, and over a period of months paid him $1.7 million. And it was the withdrawing of that money on such large amounts without reporting it to federal officials that got him in trouble. He was making his way to actually paying $3.5 million to this young man. And that's what drew the attention of prosecutors. And in the midst of the prosecution, all the, the sordid details came out. He actually admitted that this actually, these sexual encounters actually occurred. His lawyer released this on behalf of his client this past week. Mr. Hastert acknowledges that as a young man, he committed transgressions for which he is profoundly sorry. He earnestly apologizes to his former students, his family, his friends, his previous constituents, and all others affected by the harm his actions have caused. And certainly that brought harm to those young men. As a matter of fact, there's one family that claims that as a result of those encounters, that young man, young man, uh, moved into a homosexual lifestyle and actually contracted AIDS and eventually died of that disease. And so they, in many ways, hold Hastert accountable for that. And what's, I don't want to moralize about this, but I, this story is just kind of like ooh, right there in front of me all week long because these events in his life all occurred before he was 30 years of age. And uh, the crimes that he committed were 
really the, the, the significant, you know, major crimes were some 40 years ago. And now they are coming back to literally haunt him. And I've come to this very clear understanding again that life choices can impact us for a very long time. And it makes me wonder about the life of a 57-year-old guy like me. What did I do when I was in my 20s, 30s? What, what, how, am I, how am I living life now in a way that maybe won't impact me for a long time? How does a 23-year-old woman live? How does a young teenage boy live? How does, how does a couple in their 30s, how should they live in a way that honors God in a way that would reflect how Scripture would call them to live so they wouldn't face issues like Hastert is facing now? He will probably die in prison, is what we're told, led to believe. And what, a tra- what a fall from this spectacular place in our nation to where he is today. It's a story that I don't want to have repeated, frankly, in my life or in your life. It's a story that uh, you see plenty of times in Scripture, and you know perhaps what we're doing today is that we're concluding a sermon series that focuses on the story of our lives as that that story and the stories of all our lives intersect with the story of Scripture. And um, what I've done today is I've I've invited uh, one of our young guys, a staff member, to join me on stage today to explore that a little bit. Fred Salmon is in his early 30s. He leads our technical team. He has a number of employees who report to him and, and plenty of volunteers. He manages everything that you see on the, from the stages in all, in all the rooms in the building, in um, what you see and hear, all our computers, all his team is responsible for that. As a matter of fact, like right now, there are about a dozen people working to make certain that what we're seeing in this room, what, there's, what you are seeing in the East Auditorium, that all of that works seamlessly, and some are staff members, some are volunteers, and if, by the way, if you'd like to join that team, we'd re- like to invite you to do that, and Fred leads the charge, and I've asked Fred to join me on stage with, about that today. Would you welcome Fred to the, to the stage? <laughs> Thanks for coming, man. And um, uh, just to kind of introduce people to who you are who maybe uh, are not familiar with you, uh, you grew up here in Decatur. I did, I did. Not at first Christian. No, no. I was. Uh, I went to St. John's Lutheran growing up, all through from birth through. And we converted you from Lutheranism to Christianism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You okay with that? Oh yeah. Are they yeah. okay with that? No, we're good. We're, we're good. good. We're, yeah, good. we're good. Yeah, right. And uh, uh, you went to Millican. I did. And I did. Where, where did your wife go to school? She went to school at Concordia River Forest. Oh, a good Lutheran school. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, exactly. so, you, so yeah. you've got a mixed marriage. I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so how did you and Melissa meet? We, uh, we actually grew up together in uh, the youth group over at St. John's. And right. We didn't start dating right away. She was a, a senior in college before we ever started dating. So. so you knew her before you had a beard? I did, yeah. Okay. It's, Does it's he have weird. a cool beard or what? I tell you, that's, that's, of all the beards I know, that's one of them. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, here's the question I have for you. Did you did, okay. Uh, did you ever think you were going to end up in ministry? Uh, there was a point I, I didn't early on. Um, actually, when I started school at Milliken, I, uh, I started in computer sciences. So it wasn't really, I mean, ministry wasn't really at the forefront of my mind. Um, but there was a point uh, when I was in college that I can, that I can remember thinking um, all the things that I was learning and uh, experiencing uh, as far as um, audio and video and lighting, you know, how, how could I apply that to a, to a church setting and, and work with the volunteers and 
people right. like that. Not realizing that maybe there was a church here in the city that was interested in moving that direction. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I kind of thought I had to move move away from Decatur for that. But we were we were we were way ahead of the curve in that regard there, so to yes. speak. Okay. So what kind of stuff do you do? So any of the audio systems uh, in the building we manage. So this room, the East Auditorium, the kids' spaces. Uh, all of the video things that, that you see throughout the building, we manage um, lighting, um, some of the, the stage designs, and that sort of thing. Right. You have family? I do. I have uh, the three girls. Um, Ava's the oldest uh, at eight, Amelia's four, and then Audra's actually one today. Today. Yeah. Today. I know her. Today is her birthday. So, big, mm-hmm. big party this afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. not yet. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a week or two, I think. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> So here's the deal. Um, Melissa's teaching school at, at Lutheran School Association. Yes. Um, you're working in a church. So you two of you have ministry careers, which means that neither of you are getting rich. True. True. Okay. <laughs> Why work in a church? I mean, you both of you have really great skills, great personalities that you could take out into the marketplace, if you will, and um, make significantly more money. Well, well I mean, I... Back in college, I can remember there was a period I was sitting in Millitrax. Millitrax is the, the recording studio in Milliken. And I can remember um, vividly a time when I, when I was working on a project. I'm like, man, I, how could I apply this into a church setting? Um, and I think that was kind of the point where it kind of flipped for me. Um, and so trying to figure out what skills do I need. And um, I really kind of have a passion now to, to even help other churches because right. I didn't have those experiences. Because we hear from other congregations right. with regularity, mm-hmm. saying, how are you guys doing this, that, and the other? Yeah. So, okay, so in your early 20s when that occurred? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So here you are, a little bit over, you know, a dozen years later. How's God worked in your life? Well, I think that he's teaching me patience. I mean, I, have, I live with four girls, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're great. <laughs> Um, but I think that he's, he's teaching me patience because, you know, coming out of, out of school, I didn't have, uh, I had a bunch of weird jobs, you know. Yeah, like I, when I first met Fred, he was working a, a, a print place, right? Cartridge World. Cartridge yeah. World. Cartridge yeah. World. I, I had a friend who told me I had the typical musician's job, just working a weird kind of not in That's like, you know, I was planning at some point a long, long time ago, <laughs> I was going to be a professional trombonist. There there's go. not many of those. No. Do you know what professional trombonists say in their microphone? No. Do you want fries with that burger? <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yep. <laughs> professional um, bassoonists say the same thing. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, what's God got in store for you for the, in the I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> What's God got in store for you in, in, a, in the next dozen years? I think um, I'll just patiently wait and listen to what he, where he leads. Um, I mean, it's, I think I'll be doing a lot of the same things I'm doing around here, though. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'm hearing from him right now. So, so Daily listening. Yep. Mm-hmm. Can you guys thank Fred for being with me today? <laughs> thank you. I wanted you to hear Fred's story for this reason, uh, because you go, well, that, that, I mean, that, there wasn't, any, like, we've had some stories up here in recent weeks where they were really dramatic, uh, but I want you to hear Fred's story for a particular reason, 
Because those of us who work with him on a daily basis know him to be a man who works with extreme care, professionalism, and excellence to everything he does. Puts in, he works long hours often. Um, in the background, uh, he said to me recently, ah, my team's best work is done when we're in the background and nobody knows what we've done anything. And when you think about that, there's a humility to that and a humility to understanding how to do life that in the midst of all the tremendously profound stories we've heard over the last few weeks, there's also this business of how do we do daily life. And it seemed as we were thinking through this series, Fred was just like the guy who's here every day doing life, making it work so that others excel. You know, in many ways, that story might be replicated in your life. And it's a very biblical, very biblical story. This understanding of just, man, I'm going to do my job and I'm going to do it with humility and yet I'm going to do it with excellence. And, you know, can I point you to Philippians 2 in this regard? Paul the Apostle is writing to the church at Philippi. They are people who are going to listen as, he, as they read, as a, this letter is read. And this is what they are going to hear. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, if you've got any of that, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you, to the interests of the others. In your relationships with another... Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, and pay attention. This is probably the earliest hymn we have from the early church, the oldest hymn. They would, would have sung this, we have reason to believe. Can have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So in light of all of that, my friends, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, like I'm writing this from another place, so listen up, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So this scripture here um, has a premise that seems fairly appropriate given our setting today. It's being read to a bunch of people who are at the church at Philippi, if you will, people who are followers of Jesus Christ. And since we're in a church today, I would assume that most of us who are, who are looking at this today, that we are more than likely many of us followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're not, then I would say, listen in. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, and see if there's something here that might apply to your life and might help you make a decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And in light of that, if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, and this is written to followers of Jesus Christ, how should we live? How should, how should this impact our lives? Well, some observations for you this morning. Because there are some conditional statements at the beginning of the passage. There are some ifs. If you have this, then do that. And did, did you see those conditional statements? If you wonder if this, if this um, 
passage has any implications for you. It says, if you have any encouragement. Did you see that at the very beginning of the chapter? If you have any comfort, if you have any tenderness, if you have any compassion, then do this, it says. So if God has worked in your life in any way, then here are the responsibilities that come along. And so this morning, in other words, if you have a sense that God, that God has worked in you in any way that the message of Christ has, you know, had some implications in your life, then this is how you live. And Paul says, if you've had this, then live in humility. And he gives us how to live in humility, live a Jesus-styled humility. And that, frankly, that's why I invited Fred to be on stage. Because it would seem odd, if, you, if I could speak to some irony, it would seem odd for me to tell everybody to live in humility because I'm standing on a stage with the lights on. Does that seem odd? I mean, I'm, st- I'm going to be um, here in front of a crowd throughout this weekend with hundreds of people involved. The lights are on. My voice is captured and projected loudly. Everyone is sitting quietly waiting to hear what I've got to say. The cameras are running and this is going to go on the internet and untold numbers of homes are going to see this. And I'm saying, by the way, live in humility. That just doesn't fly, does it, if you hear that from me? I'm not the one behind the cameras, behind the curtains like Fred, working to make others look good. And I'm quite aware that as, even as I read this, I'm living out a very strange dichotomy. Frankly, I'm the last person who should be given a microphone. Seriously. I'm the last person who should be leading this congregation. I wasn't a popular kid in school. I didn't even come close to being voted most likely to succeed. I wasn't even nominated. As a matter of fact, our high school didn't even have that option. I've got this strange accent that I know some people find confusing. Just yesterday, somebody said to me, where are you from? And and I go, well, I'm from Australia, but you don't really sound like you're Australian. I said, I can talk Australian if you like, real fast. But but I grew up in Canada, and it's just, uh, I know, and then the sound guys tell me, Wayne, when you got a a timbre to your voice that is difficult to work with, because it's neither high nor low, it's kind of in a mid-range that they have difficulty, and I hear people who have hearing aids say, Wayne, I can't hear you when you speak. And so it's like, I get all that, and I will tell you, each weekend that I'm in the pulpit, I honestly, I walk in the room and I go, where on earth did all these people come from? And Wayne Kent, talking to myself, what makes you think you've got anything that's going to make them want to listen? What makes them, what are you going to do that's going to hold them there? And you can relate, you can say, yeah, why is he up there after all? <laughs> you could do that, you would say, well, I could do what he's doing and perhaps... Perhaps some of you could and even should. Maybe not in this setting. Maybe not speaking and preaching. But maybe in a way in which God would use you in a ministry setting you haven't thought of before and that maybe seems a little bit out of your comfort zone. You could. You know why? Scripture says if you have any encouragement, if you have any comfort, if you have any tenderness, any compassion from God, then the responsibilities don't simply end with humility in life. Because did you notice something else? In 12 and 13 of this passage, Paul the Apostle says, okay, so if you've received this, and if you are willing to live in humility and walk in humility, then it says in a very unusual verse, 12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God 
who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. What does that mean? What does it mean when, when the apostle says, I want, you to, I want you to work out your salvation? After all, aren't we, particularly as Protestants and particularly even more so as evangelicals, aren't we the ones who actually in conjunction with the Roman, our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters say we are given eternal life simply through a tremendous work that God did on the cross, namely Jesus Christ died for us. His sacrificial death purchased our salvation. And we are told in the book of Ephesians that there is nothing. It says you cannot earn your salvation. We are saved by grace alone and not by works because Paul says we don't want anyone to boast that they've earned their way to God. We live that out. And you go, well, if, I've, if, if grace comes to me, if I receive God's eternal life simply by grace, and what on earth does Paul, the same guy who said that you can't, work out your, that you can't earn your salvation, then what on earth does he mean when he says, here, work out your salvation? Well, listen to how another translation puts it. Redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you, God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. In other words, we accept salvation in grace, but we don't stay there. We don't strive to earn salvation, but then in light of the grace that we've, we've been given, we conduct our lives in a way that best gives honor to God in response to grace. If we have this, if we have comfort, if tenderness, compassion, if we have this understanding we're going to live our lives in humility, then based on that humility and based on the grace that God has given us, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> pardon me. We're going to be people who say, how, God, how can you use me in a ministry setting? And maybe it's not a case that you stand up and you preach weekly. I get that. I get that. But maybe it's more so behind the curtains. It, it brings us back to this place of humility and a willingness to be engaged in a ministry endeavor that honors God. And Jesus himself said this is really what we should be all about. That after we come to know him and after we follow him, that there are some responsibilities. That in humility we say, okay, God, I'm going to walk with you in Christ. And for the grace that I've been given, there are some things that I will do. Jesus said that on judgment day, all of the people of history will stand before him. And our salvation will be based on his grace. But additionally, apparently details of our lives are going to be judged on how we care for others. How we work out our salvation. How the grace has been given for, to us gives us the ability and willingness to care for other people in a variety of different settings. In Matthew 25, Jesus says that his true followers are the ones who... Well, just read it with me. It's on the screen. Just follow along. The king will say to those on his right. This is, this is on the day of judgment. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And apparently what's going to happen there is as, as Jesus, the king, says that, the righteous are going to say back to him, well, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? And would you read with me out loud Jesus' response? The king will reply, 
Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of these, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Hmm. So we get grace. We have the compassion of God working within us. We, we live our lives in humility. And based on that grace, we work at our salvation. In other words, how we care for those in need in a variety of different settings. How we are involved in some sort of ministry setting, if you will, vocational or not vocational, in front of the cameras, in front of the lights, or behind the lights and behind the curtains. I don't know. However we do that and what we do impacts our salvation. I'm very conscious of that here at First Christian. It's one of, that's why as part of the leadership team, I'm, we are constantly looking for ways that we can with intentionality give you, minist- give you ministry opportunities. We have a big event coming up in a few weeks where we're going to honor all the volunteers of our congregation. Get ready for this. We went through as staff members and we listed all the various places that people serve in our congregation. Do you know we found 1,100 different places where people serve? And do you know how many people are, being ser- are actually working in those 1,100 positions? More than 700 people of our congregation are involved in volunteer activities. And I think that's great news. I will say that with great great pleasure, that's, but that's about a third of our people involved in ministry. And I'd like to see us more, reach more like 95% of our people involved in ministry, frankly. Because Scripture says, if you have compassion, if you have tenderness, if you've learned, had this experience and this experience, work in humility, work out your salvation, get involved in a way in that impacts other people, Jesus said. One of the ways that we're doing that intentionally is you may recall that we are working in the GM Square. This is just one I want to lift up to you today, okay? We, we recently purchased a house down in that neighborhood, in the GM Square neighborhood, and some from the congregation have been diligently working. This is behind the scenes. This is, this is the, these are the Freds, if you will, of our church who are behind the curtain making, making, making life happen for this congregation, making ministry happen for this congregation. And they are, they've been down there diligently restoring that house. And once the project is complete, Pastor BJ and his family are actually going to move into the upstairs portion of the house. And the downstairs area will become the, the main level, if you will, be a, will be a focus on ministries for the neighborhood. And um, the house was in, well, I'll just say, not just pretty bad repair. It was in terrible shape. This is a picture of the kitchen before and after. Isn't that cool looking of how it was and what it looks like now? That's great news. Congratulations to all of you who have been involved in that ministry. And can I just say, when I, when I go and take a look at it from time to time as the work is progressing, I just go, you know, this is the people of God saying, if we have any compassion, if we've received any tenderness, if God has worked in our lives, in humility, we're going to work and we're going to minister in a special way in that community. As a matter of fact, if you look in your bulletin today, there's a little method to my madness. You'll notice on the inside flap, it says next step. We are, um, the kitchen and some other places still need some more work. And I'd love to invite you to plan to, if you have skill sets with painting, floors, basic carpentry, yard work, cleaning, anything other, you say, hey, I'd like to know what's going down there behind the curtain. And how that ministry is happening, we'd love to hear from you today. And so if you'll fill that out and leave it by the welcome desk, that would be one way in which you, you maybe a few of you today could say, hey, I'd like to do that. I'm not the guy who, or the woman who stands on, on the stage. But it's when we do things like this, see, friends. It's when we work together. When, that's when we gracefully care 
We proclaim a reliance on God's gift of Jesus for salvation while working it out at the same time. And I, I think this is where Denny Hastert missed the mark. I really do. He was given a trust, just like we've been given a trust, to be used by God. He was given a trust to care for young men, and he abused that trust. And his perfect life story, I mean, his storyline was the perfect life story that went like this, and it could have stayed there, but man, there's this horrid crash at the back end of it. Because now this business of being Speaker of the House and coming from a a history coach in a small town in Illinois to being Speaker of the House, that story now is a tragedy of imploded power and misdirected desires. Which leads me to today's final observation. That humility combined with working out our salvation brings our small story into God's bigger story. And you see it very stated very clearly if you can look with me again, Philippians chapter 2. Verse 13, if you have comfort, if you have tenderness, if you're willing to work in humility, if you're going to work out your salvation, look at how your story impacts and is is part of God's bigger story because it says, as you do that, as you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to do what? To fulfill his good purpose for God's big story to to be made complete, which would beg this question if you will, that we started out this series looking at the biblical story, that Genesis had humanity walking with God in peace and harmony, and then struggles and tension and, well, sin interrupted, and humanity's fall was pretty deep. And we, as a, as a race and as the cosmos, as totally was in need of a redeemer, and Jesus Christ came along. And for those who follow him, there is grace and peace restored to them. That's the story of Scripture. I would suggest, if you think about it, it's probably the story of most of our lives, regardless of whether or not we're on the stage or behind the stage. Grace and peace when we're first born, but then we're pretty quickly, terrible twos hit, and off we go. Off we go, and we're on our road, and if we fall off the precipice, and there's all kinds of struggles, and you hit adolescence, there's all kinds of tension and conflict, and we get into our young adult lives, and men, who are we kidding? We are men and women, young people, children in need of a redeemer. And when we, when we say, okay, I am stepping into a walk with God and I'm going to ask God to redeem my life, and that moment our lives change. Oh, there's still ups and downs. I get that. That will be the case before heaven, before the day of judgment. But we live in grace. We accept that grace. We walk it out daily saying, God, enable me to know what it means to take the storyline of my life and intertwine it with yours in the midst of grace, in the midst of humility, regardless of what ministry setting I'm in, regardless of how my life goes, I want my story to be fully intertwined with yours. And to that end, friends, would you stand together and let's pray. Father, we pray together today. And, uh, Lord, who who are we kidding? None of us, apart from whatever skill sets we bring to, to life, none of us is in a place, God, where we would be able to say that, man, we get to do this, that, or that based on who we are. More so, God, we, we are people who are desperately in need of a Redeemer. 
oh, Lord, we know we're made in your image and there, there are portions of our humanity that are really good and need to, be, um, need to be honored and fair enough. But there are also places within our humanity, God, where we would say, oh, the storyline is pretty ugly. If it's not ugly, God, at least it's convoluted. If it's not convoluted, then at least it's not what we'd hoped it to be. And in those cases, God, we are people in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would redeem our stories, that the storyline of our lives would match your planned story for us, that yes, we'll, we'll be people who uh, live in humility and we'll be people who be involved in, in, in caring for others and getting engaged in ministries and ways in which you could use us. But God, in the long run, I think for all of us, Christian and non-Christian alike this morning, we would say that somewhere deep within us, we, we, want, we, we want our story to be fully lined up with your plan and your story for us and for the greater cause of the cosmos. So to that end, God, speak to us. There are situations that we're going to walk into this week. There are settings before us even yet this afternoon. There are plans that we're making for 2017, God, where we, we, just, we need to know that we're doing it in light of your big story. Give us wisdom in that, we pray, Father. Give us your insight into this world in the large stuff, but also in the small stuff of where to even drive our cars and what to buy, not what to buy, and how to be in relationships. Lord, for all of that, we are people who would ask that you would graciously work within us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So what we want to do, friends, we, we still have a number of things we want to cover here today in today's worship service, so please don't leave at this point because i got some things I need to talk to you about. But before that, um, we want to be people of prayer. And so the congregation is going to uh, be led in worship by these guys. And as they, uh, as we as a whole, worship God and create a platform of worship, if you will, there will be a number of us here at the front of the room. We'd love to have prayer with you. If you're, if you're not walking with Jesus yet, I want to tell you, friends, today's the day, both in this room and in the East Auditorium, there'll be people who would love to pray with you and allow Christ to come into your life. This, today's the day when you can get your storyline figured out a little bit better and get the Redeemer involved in your life. And then beyond that, friends, if, um, if you're here today and you need prayer in another matter or you want to celebrate something with God, we'd be glad to pray with you as the congregation worships. You come at this time. <laughs>